0: All right, let me ask you, what is or who is that one person in your life who seems like a lost cause? Now, I said one person because probably some of you thought about a dozen people already. I'm sure we have at least one person that comes to mind, right? For you teens, maybe it's that uh, one bully in school. That foul-mouthed tough kid who feels like he's invincible, or maybe it's that a teen girl, that popular girl who gets all the attention for her half-naked TikToks. Maybe it's, it's that colleague, the one who lies and cheats in order to get ahead and still has all the favor from all of the higher-ups. Maybe it's that uh, angry and antagonistic family member who at every single family gathering will make it a point to ridicule you for your faith and to mock Jesus. Or maybe it's that really annoying neighbor, that one who calls the cops when the music is too loud, or the one who has no life so she makes it her life to know your entire life. Or maybe it's the one whose lifestyle is so different from yours, whose lifestyle is perverse, whose language is raunchy, and whose attitude is anything but inviting. Maybe it's even that politician That politician whose party and platform and policies and principles go against everything that you stand for and everything that you love. See, we all have at least one person in our lives who is a lost cause. At least one. Well, did you know that there's something that you can do for these lost causes? Did you know that you have something quite powerful at your disposal to uh, effect change in the lives of those that you would consider lost causes? Right? Whether it's that classroom bully or that corrupt businessman, whether it's that uh, home-wrecking adulterer or that devious politician, God wants to remind you through his word that you possess an incredible ability to make a difference in the lives of these kinds of people, this power lies in the simple yet profoundly powerful act of prayer. See, as followers of Christ, we have the invaluable resource of prayer. It's the the communication strategy that God provided for us to enjoy communion with him. And it's that powerful tool that God gives us to storm the heavens with prayers for those lost causes and petitions for those prodigals. So this morning, as we jump into 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And this passage is going to prompt us to make prayer a priority. That's the sermon in a sentence right there. Make prayer a priority. So a little bit of, of background where we've been. We're in uh, week three of our series through uh, First Timothy that we're calling The Apprentice. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote these, this letter, First Timothy, to the young protege. Uh, Timothy, that young pastor who we left in Ephesus to lead the church there. So in chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy to keep focused on the gospel. He tells Timothy to never take his eyes off Jesus. He wants him to keep the main thing, the main thing, by resisting the pull toward theological speculation and by rejecting the push of any kind of religious legalism. And then last week... We saw Paul essentially saying, hey, Timothy, while you're at it, while you're keeping focused on the gospel, don't ever forget that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one. He transformed me from a sinner to a saint, and his grace enabled me to showcase his salvation with my life. So so Paul says, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Now, this week, in the first eight verses of chapter 2, Paul's going to tell Timothy, hey, Timmy, for those who seem beyond God's reach, for those, who, for those who seem beyond the extent of God's grace, for those who seem like lost causes, don't forget to pray for them. Paul tells him, pray, pray, pray. Make prayer a priority in your life. Make prayer a priority in your church. Make it a priority for all the men in your midst. Paul's telling Timothy, embrace this remarkable gift and witness the life-changing impact it can have on those who need it the most. The blasphemers, the brawlers, the sexually deviant, the false teachers, and even wicked Nero himself. So Paul says, make prayer a priority. So then in these 8 verses we learn uh, 3 things about this priority of prayer. We're going to learn about the scope of our prayers, the reason for our prayers, and the attitude that we should adopt when praying. So here's what we learn first about the scope of prayer. Simply this, we're to pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. Pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. So in these first verses, we're commanded, along with Timothy, to pray for everyone. We're to pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. So this is how Paul starts in verse one. He says, "First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people." See, one of the things that made Paul such a powerhouse of a church planter and such an effective pastor was his understanding of prayer and his commitment to it. See, Paul was a man who prioritized prayer. After Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and had that face-to-face encounter, the first thing Paul did was he prayed. When Paul's hands and feet were in chains and he had his back all bloodied from being beaten by a Roman soldier, what did Paul do? He prayed. When his heart was moved by the reality of the lost people all around him destined for hell, it moved Paul to pray. Paul expressed gratitude for others through prayer. He asked for protection from the evil one and deliverance from wicked people through prayer. He interceded that other believers would be filled with with wisdom and knowledge and hope through prayer. He desired that the saints live in unity and in harmony, and he prayed these things for them in his prayer time. See, Paul knew how important prayer was, so he tells Timothy to make prayer a priority. He says it's of first importance. So what kinds of prayers, then, should we be praying? Paul would say all kinds of prayers, See, in the verse he uses four words to hammer into our heads the truth that prayer must be a priority for the people of God. It must be. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So supplications here. That carries the idea of asking God uh, for something urgent. Um, Presenting a request before him for a need, whether it's a felt need or a real need. And then there's Prayers here, so you have supplications and then you have prayers. Now, prayers here emphasizes what we usually think of when we think of prayer, that the sacredness of prayer, that uh, appealing to God based on who he is and what he's done. It's that intimate communion that we get to enjoy with God through prayer. And then he says intercessions. Now, intercessions here has to do with drawing near to God in confidence, not in fear, not in shame, right? And the picture behind the word here is uh, one who, who goes into the presence of the king confidently and asks the king for things on behalf of another. That's what an intercessor is. You're interceding on another person's behalf. And then there's thanksgivings. And thanksgivings is the last word he uses here for prayer. And showing that gratitude should always be a part of our prayer, of our worship, Always thanking God for his goodness, thanking God for his grace, for his mercy, for his gift of salvation. See, Paul uses four words here for prayer. Now, he's not uh, so much teaching us about all the different kinds of prayer um, as he is uh, more kind of piling uh, all these onto one another so to get the idea that we should just uh, be praying all kinds of prayers. It, it's, it's, it's the whole uh, picture here of the beauty uh, and, and, and big scope that there is in our prayers. And the scope of prayer encompasses not just all kinds of praying, but praying for what kind of people? All people. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for who? All people, right? All people, then, here it shows and makes it clear that no one on earth is beyond the influence of your prayers. No one on earth is outside of the influence of your prayers. God's love is for all kinds of people. Jesus died for all kinds of people. So if we want to see the gospel transform every kind of person, we must be praying for all kinds of people. So Paul's driving home we pray for our family. We pray for our friends. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for one another. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are serving across the globe on the mission field. We pray for those who look like us and those who don't look like us, those who vote like us and those who don't vote like us, those who speak our language and those who don't speak our language, those who think like us and those who don't. We're to pray for all people. Then Paul goes on to say, pray especially for those in authority. Verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, you have to understand that for the early church to receive this command from Paul must have been pretty shocking. Um, This was quite a challenge for them. See, we might find it challenging to pray for our politicians, to pray for Biden or AOC, or Hillary Clinton, or Trump, um, or Putin. But see, when we consider who was in charge, who was in office when Paul wrote these words, when he wrote this command to pray for kings and those in authority, it makes uh, the command even more fascinating. See, Paul, understand, he was writing at a time when there was an emperor in Rome by the name of Nero. Nero. Now, Nero makes all of our politicians look like a bunch of Mother Teresas. So you can almost envision here, as Timothy's reading this, you can almost envision the the inner dialogue that Timothy's kind of having back and forth in his brain with Paul, right? When he reads that Paul's commanding him to pray for kings and all those who are in high positions. So Paul is telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, you have to pray for Nero, Right To which Timothy's probably thinking, but Paul, Nero's absolutely insane. He's nuts. He had his younger brother murdered, so there wouldn't be any competition for the throne. But Paul would say, pray for Nero. And maybe Timothy would think, but, but Paul, really? This is Nero we're talking about. He murdered his mother after he got tired of her power plays. He beheaded his first wife, and then he kicked to death his second wife in a fit of rage. This is the one you want us to be praying for? And Paul would say, it's God's will that you pray for Nero. But Paul, this is Nero we're talking about. Remember recently when he wanted to know what it was like to be a woman, so he assumed the role of a bride and married a man? Paul, this is the Nero that we're talking about. True story. Paul would say, pray for Nero. You sure, Paul? Maybe you haven't heard the latest. So apparently, Nero started to miss his second wife that he killed. Paul, I don't know if you knew this, but he went and found a young slave boy who looked like his second wife. He had him castrated, put, her in, put him in a gown, and married him. And Paul would say, pray for Nero. But Paul... This is the same guy who's blaming us Christians for burning Rome. He's the same guy who's arresting our brothers and sisters throughout the Roman Empire. He's the same guy who's executing them. The same one who's crucifying them. The same one who's using dogs to tear these brothers and sisters apart from limb to limb. This is the same guy who's dousing people in tar, setting them on fire for no other reason other than the joy of using human torches to illuminate his evening parties. And by the way, Paul, it's probably only a matter of time before he comes and issues the order for your execution. And Paul would say, pray for Nero. Pray for your ungodly leaders. Pray for the king you suffer under. Pray for all of those authorities who oppress you. Pray for those politicians who stand for everything that you stand against. Why? Well, He gives us one reason. He says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. In other words, one of the reasons we pray for those in authority, other than for their salvation, one of the reasons is for the benefit of the church. Right? It's to the benefit of the church that uh, there's peaceful circumstances externally for the gospel to go forward. But even if there's not, what Paul's saying here is even if there is difficulty, even if there is ridicule, even if there is persecution, our time with God will build a peaceful soul within. So even if there's not peace without, we could have peace within so we can represent the gospel to others in a godly and dignified way. So church, let's make prayer a priority. We've seen how big the scope of our prayers should be. We're to pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people now, the next verse is show us the reason for prayer. The motivation to pray for everyone. See, we pray for all kinds of people because the gospel is for every kind of person. We pray for all kinds of people because the gospel is for every kind of person. The accessibility of the gospel is one of the primary motivations for our prayer. Right? After Paul tells us to pray for all people, he gives us more reasons why then. He goes on in verses three and four. He says, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, we make prayer a priority because prayer is good. It's, it's beautiful, and it brings delight to the Father when we pray to him, especially when we pray for the salvation of others, because when we're praying for the salvation of others, our hearts are coming in alignment with God's heart. And what is God's heart? That all people be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. Now, the word knowledge here is not talking about a head knowledge, right? Not just knowing um, stats or details or facts about Jesus, Uh, But the word knowledge here carries the idea of knowing Jesus, right? The way a wife knows her husband. It's a knowledge that both understands the truth and embraces the truth by faith. And then Paul goes on in 5 and 6. He says, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. See, this command uh, to pray for all people was, at least initially, probably a pretty hard pill for some of these early Jewish believers to swallow. Right? See, You have to realize they were raised in a, a separatist culture where the emphasis was on the us versus the them, the clean versus the unclean, the Jew versus the Gentile. It was this mentality that Paul's writing against. So the fact that God desires the salvation of every soul would have reminded these early believing Jews that God's intention from the very beginning was to redeem for himself a people uh, made up of all nations, of all tribes, of all languages, of all tongues, Jews and Gentiles alike. And Paul says, after all, there isn't one God for the Jews and then one God for the Greeks and then one God for the Romans. There is one God, one God for all. And if there's only one God, there's no other God to whom people can go to for salvation. And then Paul says, so if you follow Paul's logic, remember the, the Jews were um, monotheistic. So he basically is, is kind of uh, create, making an argument. He's going for monotheism and he's bringing it to the specifics of the gospel of Christ. Right? He's saying there's one God. So that one God provides salvation, offers salvation to all people. And by the way, that salvation is made possible because of one mediator, right? There's only one person capable of representing us in our humanity to God. There's only one person able to close that infinite gap that exists between humans and God. There's only one person that can do this, and it's the one called Jesus Christ, He's the perfect mediator because he alone can uniquely identify with both parties, right? Jesus can uh, identify fully with the Father because Jesus is fully divine. At the same time, Jesus could identify fully with us as humans because simultaneously Jesus is fully human. He's like us in every way, yet without sin, as scripture says. Right, so the one God provided the one mediator, and the one mediator gave his life as the sufficient and once-for-all ransom through whom all people can be saved by grace through faith. So Paul tells Timothy, and he tells us, that the gospel of Jesus is the only hope of salvation for every kind of person. And because it's for every kind of person, We should pray that all kinds of people would open their hearts to receive this free gift of salvation. Then, in verse 7, Paul affirms his commitment to the gospel by reminding the church of how the gospel goes out into the world. Verse 7, he says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So Paul was given this, uh, his threefold mission from God, reminding us that the gospel always requires messengers. See, Paul was a preacher. The word preacher here means herald. He, he, he was a herald. He's one who goes before others to proclaim a message from the king, the message that Jesus gave his life for us to give his life to us so he could live his life through us. See, Paul was also an apostle. He wasn't just a herald. He was also an apostle, meaning he was commissioned by the resurrected Jesus himself, and he was sent with the authority to herald the gospel. And we're also told told that Paul was a teacher. He brought the truth of the gospel and taught the truth of the gospel to Gentiles. So Paul tells us to make prayer a priority. Pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. Why? Because the life-saving message of the gospel is for every single kind of person. No one is excluded. See, God's method of bringing salvation to the sinner is through the old-school tried-and-true methods of prayer and proclamation. It's been happening that way for 2,000 years, and it continues to happen that way. God orchestrated everything in such a way so that the results of the proclamation of the gospel in the world will be contingent upon the prayers of the people in the church. In other words, the progress of the gospel in the world is dependent upon the prayers of God's people in the church. What happens out there, a large part of what happens out there is a result of what happens in here. Or not happening in here. See, believer, God has chosen to use your prayers to accomplish his will. It's it's mind boggling. It, it could hurt your brain thinking about that. How that works. But let me ask you, when's the last time you prayed for the salvation of someone who is lost, whether it's a lost friend, a lost family member, or a lost neighbor? When's the last time you prayed that God would uh, soften the hearts of the people who live next door to you or that God would give you an opportunity to pray with your neighbor or give you an opportunity to invite your neighbor to join you or to to welcome your neighbor to sit around your table and share a meal with you. See, we need to be reminded that we are surrounded by people who are lost. We're surrounded by people who are on their way to spend an eternity apart from Christ. And if you want them then to know the eternal satisfaction in Jesus that you have, Pray for them. Pray for them. One old English pastor, uh, Richard Baxter, he makes it crystal clear when he put it this way. Some hard words to listen to. This is how he put it. He said, let your heart yearn for your ungodly neighbors. Alas, there is but a step between them and death and hell. Many hundred diseases are waiting, ready to seize on them, and if they die unregenerate, they will be lost forever. Have you hearts of rock that cannot pity men in such a case as this? Do you not care who is damned as long as you are saved? Do you live close by them, or do you meet them in the streets, or work with them, or travel with them, or sit and talk with them, and say nothing to them of their souls? If their houses were on fire, you'd run and help them. Will you not help them when their souls are almost at the fire of hell? Those are cutting words, convicting just as much for me. Church, let's be a praying people. Let's be a people marked by prayer, right? We say one of our core values, it's on the wall out there. We value prayer as an expression of our utter dependence upon God. So let's prove that we value it. Let's be a praying church who takes advantage of every opportunity to pray, like the way one, one pastor put it. He said, if I announce to my church that there's going to be a potluck dinner, people are going to come out of the woodwork to attend. But if I announce a prayer meeting, I'm lucky if the elders show up. <laughs> so let me give you one action step you could take right now. So back in February, some of you committed uh, to pray regularly for your surrounding neighbors by name. You signed up to become a a prayer partner, and you've been getting daily reminders to pray for for five of your neighbors uh, at a shot, five neighbors a day. Um, So since February, you can see on here this little, little dashboard, 144 of you have joined as lights in your neighborhood. 144. So between the 144 of us, over 5,000 homes have been adopted so far. 5,000 homes in Ocean County that are getting prayed for regularly. And now that represents over 22,000 prayers that have been offered on behalf of those neighbors. So listen, if you're already a part of the 144, 144, not the 144,000 of Revelation, don't get that confused. If you're already part of the 144, my ask of you is simply this. Keep praying. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep taking advantage of opportunities to love your neighbors, to care for them, to serve them, invite them to church, invite them to your house for a meal. Keep doing what you're doing. Remain steadfast in praying for those lost people around you. Now, if you're not represented in that 144, My ask of you is simply to commit to praying for your neighbors. Bring that number up from 144 to 145. How amazing would it be if some years from now we could look at that and see 400, 500, 600 people regularly praying for 100,000 homes in our county. Now, if you want to sign up, you can do this in one of several ways if you're Quick and tech savvy, you could scan one of the QR codes behind you that will uh, send you right to our prayer partner page. Um, we did the last time we did this; it was a little challenging, so we made this even easier. Because another way you could go sign up for to become a prayer partner is simply go to www.baysidepraise.org, baysidepraise.org, and you could sign up to be a light in your community right from there so my ask of you is if you haven't done this will you commit to it will you make it a priority to pray for your neighbors because remember the progress of the gospel in the world is dependent on the prayers of the saints in the church so in this passage then we've seen the scope of our prayers, right? We're to pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. And then we also see the reason for prayer, the motivation here to pray for everyone. We're to pray for all kinds of people because the gospel is for everyone. It's for every kind of person. And now in verse eight, real quick, we'll look at this. Paul shows us the attitude of prayer. We see the attitude of prayer. And that's to pray from a posture of holy surrender. You pray from a posture of holy surrender. Verse eight, Paul says this, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Amen. Amen. So we see here how important the condition of our heart is when we're approaching God in prayer, when we're engaging God this way. See, it was customary for Jewish men to pray with their arms extended and with their palms facing up toward the heavens. This was uh, a symbolism, uh, symbolic of submission, symbolic of of surrender. But the emphasis here is not so much on the posture of the body. Really, the emphasis here is, is on the posture of the heart. See, Paul says that the posture of prayer includes holy hands. Holy hands meaning clean hands, untainted by sin, unstained by sin. Now, at first glance, that might intimidate us. Because when do we go to God feeling like we're, we're completely untainted and unstained from sin? But remember, it's the Christ in you who makes you holy. It's the Christ in you that makes you uh, blameless and pure and righteous and untainted from sin. So when you go to God, you're going in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So you have the holy hands of Jesus. And this all has to do here with, with going before God in purity. Then... Paul says that this posture also excludes two things. It excludes anger and quarreling. See, whereas uh, lifting up holy hands had to do more with being pure before God, here, these words, anger and quarreling, have more to do with teaching us to be at peace with others. So not purity before God, but peace with others. And now, one of the things that we can't ignore... um, what Paul started doing in the beginning of chapter 2 is he started giving Timothy instructions for public worship. So what you're going to see in a lot of 1 Timothy um, is how the church is supposed to function, um, how, how a local church like Bayside Chapel is supposed to function in a healthy way. Um, but was, and notice then, that being the case, notice that Paul stresses um, who this command is directed at initially uh, of first importance. See, it's directed toward the men. It's all toward the men. That means the men of the church need to be leading by example. That means the men of the church need to be praying men. It's God's desire and design for it to be this way, right? So Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, pray. Don't forget to pray. Encourage the men around you to pray. A man's place is on his face before God. The ministry of the church is going to be fueled by the prayers of the people, including and driven by the prayers of the men. So we're to make a priority of prayer. We pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people, and we pray for all kinds of people because the gospel's for anyone. And we pray from this posture of holy surrender, prayerfully trusting that Jesus is going to build his kingdom and spread his gospel through us. As has been said before, much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power. Make prayer priority. Pray for your unsaved friends and family. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your co-workers. Pray for your children and your grandchildren. Pray for the gospel to transform those in our communities, in our own backyards, and that the gospel would go and transform people in communities across the globe where we have missionaries. Pray for our missionaries. So there's a story, true story, uh, back in 1980, there was a a pastor uh, in the 1980s of a small church in Romania. At that time, Romania was um, under communism. So the pastor, Laszlo Toks, he led this uh, small congregation, this small group of oppressed Christians um, in in his little church. And the former pastor, the one who Laszlo replaced... The former pastor, the previous pastor, had no problem uh, wearing all the communist garb and, um, ref- and not saying certain things about the gospel because it would offend the communists. He had no problem doing that. But when Tokes became pastor, he spoke out against the injustices. He spoke for the gospel. And then soon what happened was his church sanctuary began to fill. More and more people started coming. Membership grew from 40 people to 5,000 people. And then obviously there was a lot of bad attention too, right? Toks was regularly threatened by government agents. And one evening, uh, the police were even dispatched to his house to evict him, kick him out of his house. Well, when the police got there, word um, quickly spread. And all of a sudden, hundreds of Christians poured out of their homes and started surround- surrounding Toks' home created a wall of protection around his home, and they stood there day and night, lighting candles, praying, singing hymns. Then after a few days, uh, police finally broke through. Um, They broke through that that, that wall of protection, and they arrested Toke's. So the Christians then decided to march down to the police station where they took him. They just brought it down there. So as they're marching toward the police station in in, uh, the center of town, more and more people see them marching. They start coming out of their houses. And then by the time you get to the city hall, the crowd at this point is swelling to 200,000 people. The Romanian army sent in troops. They opened fire on the crowd. They killed 100 people, injured lots more but still the people had their, uh, held their ground. And then in, in the midst of that crowd was another local pastor. He stood up to address the people, and his address began with these three words. He said, let us pray. Let us pray. Then in one uh, spontaneous Motion, the mass of these people, farmers, teachers, students, doctors, and ordinary working people, they all just fell to their knees and they recited the Lord's Prayer. Within days, this prayerful protest spread all the way south to Bucharest, and then a short time after that, the communist government that had ruled Romania with an iron fist completely toppled over. And since then, the gospel has been spreading throughout Romania see those prayers of, of those Romanian saints some 30 years ago have affected this very church because now we make it a priority to support missionaries in Romania and to do missions work in Romania so my charge to you earlier was to pray for your neighbors I going to give you a second charge it's to pray for our missionaries Pray for all of those missionaries that we support. If you want to know which missionaries we support, you can go to our website um, and take a look there. But pray for them. Pray that the gospel would go forth and land on ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and all of the glorious implications of that. So church, will you commit to making prayer a priority? Will you commit to praying for your neighbors? And will you commit to praying for the missionaries that are so closely tied to us here? Would you stand as we prepare our hearts for a final song of worship? Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you in confidence and in boldness, In prayer, Lord, thank you that we don't have to shy away from you or be fearful of you, Lord, but that we approach you the way a helpless babe approaches their father. And God, we acknowledge that this is made possible only because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. That Jesus lived the life no one could ever live, that he died the death that every single person deserved, And that he rose in victory over the twin enemies of sin and death. And Lord, I I pray, God, that the truth of the gospel would would motivate us, that you'd put such a deep stirring in our souls to reach out to those who don't know you, to pray for them, to care for them, to love them, to show them, The love of Jesus, to be the hands and feet of the gospel to them, and to communicate with our words the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and all of the beautiful implications as a result. Lord, so I pray for all of those lost in our communities and all of those who have yet to come to salvation. Uh, in Romania, in all, all the other countries um, where uh, you've enabled us to support missionaries. Lord, I pray, God, for uh, for revival to happen. Lord, I pray that so many who are far from you would come to know you as a result of the proclamation of the gospel and as a result of the prayers of your children. Lord, help us to fight all of our battles in prayer. And we pray these things in Jesus' magnificent name. All God's children said...